Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Very excited to be back with you. I think we've got a very entertaining show on tap. We did mix the order up just a little bit. We're going to start off with this day in sports history here in a few seconds. After that, we'll go into Call of the Bullpen with my guest, Damian Adams. He's the third co-host of the Third and Three podcast. If you might remember, we've had Jason Fearman and Nikki G on. He's the third and final co-host from that show. He also has his own podcast, The Real Deal with Damian Adams. I'll be talking to him about the NFL, the NBA, and then he'll stick around for Ranky Panky, where we will rank our top five favorite NBA players age 25 and under. And after that, Fearless Forecast returns. I did one for week one of the NFL where I made my picks, and I've continued to do so on Twitter, but haven't done it on the show in a while. So Fearless Forecast will be the final segment later. Up first, this day in sports history. We begin this week's edition of This Day in Sports History with a notable birth. On October 21st, 1928, future New York Yankees ace pitcher Whitey Ford was born in New York City. A member of the Yankees in 1950 and again from 1953 through 1967, the Southpaw won six World Series titles and was a 10-time All-Star during a career in which he posted a 236 and 106 record, a 275 ERA, and 1,956 strikeouts. Inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1974, Ford was nicknamed the Chairman of the Board, and his 690 winning percentage is the fourth highest of any pitcher with at least 200 career decisions. Whitey Ford never threw a no-hitter, but he did toss back-to-back one-hit games in 1955 to tie a record held by several hurlers. Speaking of records, Ford is the Yankees' all-time leader in career wins, shutouts, innings pitched, and games started, although he is tied with another great Yankee lefty, Andy Pettit, for that last mark. Sadly, Ford passed away earlier this month at the age of 91. Next up, we go to October 21, 1964, when the Milwaukee Braves team owners announced that the Braves would relocate to Atlanta beginning with the 1965 season. The Braves finished 88-74 and during their final year in Milwaukee, where they played from 1953 to 1965 and posted a winning record every season making them the only team in the modern era that began in 1900 to play more than one season and never finish with a losing record. The Braves appeared in back-to-back World Series in 1957 and 1958, defeating the New York Yankees in seven games in 1957 before losing to the Yankees in another seven-game series the following year. Prior to moving to Milwaukee, the franchise called Boston home from 1871 to 1952. 
The Braves were also previously called the Red Stockings, the Red Caps, the Bean Eaters, the Doves, the Rustlers, and the Bees. And they state that they are the oldest continuously operating professional sports franchise in the United States. Next up, we go to October 21st, 1975, when Boston Red Sox catcher Carlton Fisk hit a solo home run in the 12th inning to lift Boston to a 7-6 home win over the Cincinnati Reds in Game 6 of the World Series. Although Boston went on to lose the series in seven games, the image of Fisk attempting to wave the ball fair until it hit the left field foul pole at Fenway Park remains one of the most iconic moments in Major League Baseball history. In addition to his heroics during the 1975 World Series, Fisk also was an 11-time All-Star and a three-time Silver Slugger Award winner who was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 2000. Fisk had 376 home runs, 1,330 RBIs, 2,356 hits, and a 269 batting average during a career that spanned over two decades with the Red Sox and the Chicago White Sox. Lastly, we go to October 21, 1976, when former New York Knicks center Willis Reed became the first player in franchise history to have his number retired when the Knicks retired his number 19 jersey. Reed spent his entire 11-year professional basketball career with the Knicks, winning NBA championships in 1970 and 1973. Voted the NBA's most valuable player in 1970, Reed was an all-star all seven years from 1965 to 1971, and he appeared on the All-NBA First Team once and the All-NBA Second Team on four occasions. A member of the 1982 Basketball Hall of Fame class, Willis Reed averaged 18.7 points per game, 12.9 rebounds per game, and 1.1 blocks per game during his illustrious career, and his most memorable performance took place on May 8, 1970, when he played Game 7 of the NBA Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers on a torn right thigh muscle. Although he only scored four points, Reed's presence helped the Knicks win 113-99 to to capture their first NBA title. That's it for this day in sports history. Now let's head into my conversation with Damian Adams. Now, like I said, we do have some NFL talk here, but Damian and I chatted on Saturday, so that was prior to week six of the NFL season. So any results that happened this past Sunday or Monday, we do not discuss. However, we had a great discussion about that and other things. So it's time for Call to the Bullpen. Well, Damien, first of all, uh, we'd like to uh, welcome you to Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Really excited to talk to you today. Oh, man, thanks for having me on, man. I definitely appreciate it. I'm a big fan of your show. Absolutely. Appreciate you listening. Big fan of uh, what you guys have been doing on the uh, Third and Three podcast. You know, I've had both of your other co-hosts on and enjoyed talking with them. So just figured it was time to uh, get you on as well. You know, we've talked about that podcast in the past, but I also want to talk about your podcast, The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Give the listener a little idea of where they can find that and and how you set your show up. So, yeah, thanks, man. The Real Deal with Damian Adams can be found on any podcast platform. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Amazon Music, 
Google Podcasts, Podomatic, wherever you listen to podcasts at The Real Deal with Damian Adams can be found there. And on my show, talk about the NBA, NFL, boxing. And what I like to do is just go from my perspective. Usually I'll do shows by myself. Every once in a while I have a guest on, but a lot of times it's me just going into my thought process on what's going on in the NFL, NBA, or boxing. And I also like to play music between topics. So you get hot takes and hot music on my show. So I just like to keep it light, have fun, but also when it comes to serious topics, I don't run away from those. So I always say that I don't do hot takes, I do real takes. So I definitely would think that anybody who likes your show would appreciate my show as well. So go ahead and subscribe to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. I think you will enjoy it. Yeah, I think you do good work there. And and I'll see you guys on the third and three. Talk about being able to uh, be on there with Nikki and Jason and how much you enjoy that. Yeah, I definitely enjoy it a lot. Um, it was something that came about in a kind of a surprising fashion. Jason invited me to come on to do one show on his podcast about the NFL draft. It was with Nikki and we just jailed and he hit us back up on a group text and asked if he wanted to do a show on a permanent basis. And we were both down for it. And it's been a blast ever since we started. And we all bring different things to the table. We like to call Jason the quarterback. He's the one who sets us up and gives us the ball in the right places to be able to score. Nikki, she's our diva receiver. She catches everything and she's going to give a little flair with her takes. She's the, she got the chat Ocho Cinco without the drama, just production. And they call me the head coach. I'm the one who, you know, I like to give my deep dives into things and everything I do is very thought out. So that's why you like to call me the head coach. And we have knowledge with Nikki, which is the hardest sports trivia, I think, ever created. Um, Nikki does a great job with that. And you're going to learn something new every episode with that. Um, we also have our Mount Play a Player segment where each week we do like a Mount Rushmore type thing where we try to do something different each week. Like this past week, we did best NFL rivalries. That was a really good discussion on rivalries and which ones are the best in the NFL. If you love football, you will love the podcast. Football is the basis, but you'll also get a little bit of basketball. You might get some boxing there every once in a while because me and Jason are both boxing fans as well. And even with Nikki, she's a big reality TV show fan. So you'll get some pop culture in there as well. You get a little bit of everything with football being the foundation of the podcast. Yeah, I uh, I had Nikki on most recently, and I can definitely agree with you on the knowledge with Nikki. She asked me a few questions, and I didn't embarrass myself uh, too much on those, but uh, <laughs> was able to get a couple right. But yeah, I, I agree with that. Just being on with those two and seeing a little bit about their personalities and how knowledgeable they are about the NFL and, and sports as a whole is really a lot of fun. And um, I want to talk about the NFL first of all. We're entering week six. And is there anything that's really stood out to you that maybe is a big surprise from maybe a team or something? Just looking at the NFL as a whole, I was surprised by the quality of play. I thought that we would have a lot more sloppy play from the offenses going in. And because of no preseason, no real training camp, you got a little training camp there, but not your traditional training camp that you would have during a normal year. The offenses have been on point. Now, some of the defenses have not been good, but the biggest surprise to me is that we're having like some offenses that are setting records so far. And as far as scoring points and what they're doing now, some of that is because of bad defensive play. We look at teams like Dallas, Atlanta, uh, even Seattle, who's winning, but their defense isn't good. You have some bad defenses, but the offenses have really been on point and really surprised me as far as just the execution of what they've been able to do so far in 
a year that you would think all teams would struggle. Offenses really surprised me. Yeah, and I know you mentioned Seattle. You know, they're 5-0. and Their offense has been phenomenal. Russell Wilson's been great. But, you know, you mentioned all their games have been super, super close. And what are your thoughts overall on that Seattle team? I think that they still can be a Super Bowl contender because Russell Wilson is playing at an MVP caliber and the offense is in his hands. Past years, he's been playing well, but the offense has been more run-based. And this year, they're putting the offense all on him, which he can handle, especially with weapons like DK Metcalf, who's, you know, a transformer. Some people are saying that he's the second coming of Megatron, um, Calvin Johnson. And with Tyler Lockett, we all know the connection that Russell Wilson has with Tyler Lockett. That offense is going to flow. They have a good running game as well. So they're going to be in Super Bowl contention. And I think the defense will get better throughout the year, especially as Jamal Adams gets healthy. They'll get better throughout the season. They'll be in Super Bowl contention. And Russell Wilson will be in MVP conversation. But you definitely can't just give him the trophy yet because Aaron Rodgers has something to say about it. Yeah, and you mentioned Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, Seattle is one of four undefeated teams left, along with Green Bay, Tennessee, and Pittsburgh. Which of those undefeated teams do you think is probably the best? It's hard to judge Pittsburgh. I think this week against Cleveland is going to show us a lot because they haven't really played the best competition yet. Um, But they do, like as far as complimentary football, they look the best right now. But I think the best team out of the undefeated group is probably Green Bay. You think about what Aaron Rodgers is doing without Devontae Adams. So once he comes back healthy, that's going to make the offense even better. The defense has had lapses, like in the New Orleans game. New Orleans got to roll in a little bit before the Taysom Hill fumble. But I think their defense is good enough when you have Aaron Rodgers playing at this level for them to be a Super Bowl contender. So out of the undefeated group, I'm going to go with Green Bay because I believe they have the most complementary pieces as far as defense, special teams, and offense when you talk about those undefeated teams. I'm with you. I think Green Bay is the best I've seen so far out of those teams as well. What do you think has been the uh, best division so far? You know, I talked to Jason and we talked, you know, the NFC West was the one we thought was going to be tough. And uh, obviously his team, (laughs) the 49ers, they're at two and three right now, struggling with injuries and things like that. But uh, what do you think is the best division? I got to go with the AFC North. When you look at Baltimore being one of the best teams, taking care of business, they don't have games where they have lapses. Like a lot of teams that have down games where they play against an opponent who is worse than they are, and they'll play down to their level. Baltimore doesn't do that. You know, their only loss is to Kansas City. And whenever they play against anybody else, they're taking care of business. I just mentioned Pittsburgh is undefeated, but haven't played the best competition yet. You saw Cleveland get a win over a good Colts team who has a very good defense. They were able to run the ball enough to win that game, and also their defense was able to take advantage of Phillip Rivers. So the AFC North is really good. Of course, Cincinnati is in a rebuilding phase, but they can be dangerous as well when Joe Burrow gets hot. So I think the AFC North is definitely the most complete division. Yeah, when you look up and down at the records and results so far, they're definitely very complete-looking division there. We go to another division that's been very competitive so far, outside of the Falcons, really, is that NFC South with the, the Saints, the Bucks, and the Panthers all at 3-2 and two right now. What have you thought of the NFC South as a whole? The NFC South is very interesting. Very, very interesting. I am a Saints fan. And for me, going into the year, I thought that we were the favorites going in. I still believe we can win the division. Tampa Bay definitely opened the door for us with that loss they took to Chicago you know, with the famous Tom Brady play where he didn't know what down it was. And Carolina's definitely the biggest surprise in the division so far. The fact that 
they have won three straight games without Christian McCaffrey is really surprising. The defense was the unit that I thought would struggle the most because their defense is so young. A lot of rookies, second-year players, third-year players on that defense. So I thought the defense would really struggle, but the defense has stepped it up. Um, Teddy Two Gloves has become more than just a game manager. In his games last year with the Saints, he got better as the year progressed in those five games, but he still is more of a game manager that depended on defense playing well and a good running game. And those games when he played with the Saints last year, ran the ball a lot more than normal. This year, he's able to go downfield. Him and Robbie Anderson definitely have a very good connection, and Robbie Anderson has proven that he is a number one receiver. I think that Carolina can make some noise. With Tampa Bay, you know, they have Tom Brady, so you can never count them out. Um, their defense hasn't been as good as I thought it would be because I thought last year the defense was good, but wasn't able to show how good they really could be because Jameis turned the ball over so much. And this year, I thought they would really show their full potential. And they have had some bad games against the Chargers, where Tampa had to come back, of course. Tampa's defense did look good against Chicago, but Chicago's offense isn't the best. And for New Orleans, Drew Brees hasn't looked like Drew Brees, right? It's been very in the headlines, right, that his arm strength isn't there. He hasn't gone downfield. But I believe this bye week is coming in the perfect time for the Saints where they get Michael Thomas back as long as he stops punching people in practice. <laughs> and you get so you get Michael Thomas back. That defense, the secondary has to improve. I think this bye week is coming perfectly for them, for that secondary to work on their stuff. Because that Monday night game against the Chargers, Justin Herbert played well, but he also was hitting open receivers where the secondary was just having blown coverages. Marshawn Lattimore, who's supposed to be an all-pro type corner, shutdown guy, was getting dominated by Mike Williams. So the secondary, if that secondary improves and becomes just an average secondary, the Saints can be a contender because that offense is going to be good. Even without Drew Brees going down the field, they find ways to be productive. Bringing in Taysom Hill, for example, on a third and five when you need to get to the end zone at the end of the game, just creative ways that they'll be able to do it because of Sean Payton. So I still have the Saints as the favorite, but the Panthers are right there, and the Bucks, of course, you can't sleep on them. So it's a very tough division. Yeah, I'm a big Panthers fan myself, and I didn't have high expectations going into the season uh, with all the turnover they had on the roster. I wasn't happy with Cam leaving just because he's my favorite player. He's been doing a great job in New England. But, uh, you know, the Panthers have really surprised me. I didn't think they'd win more than five or six games, and they're already sitting there at three. So who knows? I mean, they've won three straight without McCaffrey and, and Mike Davis really playing well, filling in for him. Uh, you mentioned Robbie Anderson. He's been phenomenal catching the ball and has a great chemistry with Teddy Bridgewater. But I'm with you. I think the Saints, the favorite still to me, coming into the season, I thought the Bucks would probably be a wild card team and the Saints would win the division probably by a game or two over them. You speak about Drew Brees, and obviously Tom Brady's 43, Drew Brees is 41. How much longer do you think these guys are going to be playing? Well, I know Tom wants to play until he's 45. He signed a two-year deal. So I think he'll get these next two years in, and then he'll be done. I think this is Drew Brees' last year. He's already signed a contract with NBC to be a commentator for them. And he, even when you look at the stats, you know, he has some of the yards, but when you truly look at it, you'll see a 55-yard pass, but he passed it one yard to Alvin Kamara, who took it down the field. Just off of memory, I only can remember like one pass down the field that was completed. It was the one to Jared Cook in a Monday night football game where he did a great job of moving defenders and hitting Jared Cook on an angle route down the field. But you can see that Drew Brees is no longer the same Drew Brees. You expect a descent 
right? You respect you respect that because he's forty one years old. So you expect that to happen, but it seems it seems different with him than Tom Brady. Tom Brady's still able to put some sip on the ball, still take chances downfield. With Drew Brees, is, it definitely feels different. It feels like a last hurrah. Like okay, we have a quality roster. Let me do it one more time. Uh, even last year, I saw as a Saints fan, maybe the national media didn't see it, but I saw as a Saints fan, like, okay, Drew Brees' arm isn't there. We aren't going downfield as much. And I thought maybe we should keep Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy showed what he could do in the offense. He got more comfortable as, a, as the year went along. And even though Teddy Bridgewater is never going to be what Drew Brees was, Teddy Bridgewater is, what, 27? So you can have a B-plus quarterback for the next 10 years or you can have Drew Brees for one year. And I thought that we should have kept Teddy Bridgewater and maybe offered, you know, Drew Brees a golden parachute package, if you will, to retire. You know, give him some type of position where he's not really doing something, but some type of position that you make up for a guy like that in your organization. He can be the executive of player relations or something like that in an organization where you pay him millions of dollars just to make appearances and stuff like that. And you say, hey, thanks for all the memories. We're going to move on to Teddy Bridgewater. We'll even give you this fake job where you make millions of dollars just to make appearances and go on late night TV shows for it and stuff like that. But we decided to, he decided to stay. And because he's done so much with us, you can't really just let him go. And now we're seeing what I saw at the end of last year coming to this year where he's not making those same throws. You see exactly what's wrong this year and everybody's seeing it now. So hopefully he can improve throughout the year. Getting Michael Thomas back, somebody who can get those short intermediate routes for him will help. But I think this is the last year for Breeze. I think Brady gets you two more years. Yeah, I'm with you. It'll be interesting to watch that race as we go along. Uh, one race that's, uh, you know, everybody in that NFC East is below 500. Obviously, the Cowboys lost Dak Prescott. Uh, do you think they're still the favorite there? I mean, Andy Dalton, a veteran quarterback uh, to lead them now. Yeah, I think the Cowboys are still the favorite. Um, losing Dak is major. But when you get a backup like Andy Dalton, you'll be fine, especially with those weapons. You saw Andy Dalton come in after the horrific injury to Prescott and just take command right away. Going deep to Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper you have there, CeeDee Lamb, the running backs. Not only Ezekiel Elliott, but Tony Pollard is not something, you know, it's not a player to sneeze at. So they have weapons all over the place. And that offense will gel. The offense will move the ball. Andy Dalton's numbers will look really good. There's going to be some talk about, oh, are they okay without Prescott? Do they really need to sign him? Which is crazy. You need to sign Prescott. But there's going to be some talk of that because Andy Dalton's going to look so good in that offense. Now, their problem, of course, is the defense. But because the NFC East is so bad, they're going to be able to beat teams like the Giants, the Washington football team, the Eagles, with that defense and win enough games. I think, honestly, they can go 7-9 and win that division. So I still got Dallas as the favorites because Andy Dalton with weapons. We've seen him before. When he's had weapons in Cincinnati, he played well, just didn't get over that hump in the playoffs. I think this could be the same situation here. Well, he'll get to the playoffs, but once you get to a quality team in the playoffs who can stop you somewhat and has an offense, that's when Dallas will struggle. Yeah, Dallas Cowboys fans, it seems like every year they're very high on their team, and it's always kind of like it's this year going to be the year, and they just haven't broke through in a while. Another team that a lot of people were really high on were the uh, Buffalo Bills, who are 4-1, and one, uh, took their first loss to Tennessee, which is undefeated. Do you think Buffalo wins that division? Do you have New England? Uh, what do you got? So at the beginning of the year, I picked Buffalo. Uh, one of my bold predictions was that Josh Allen would take a quantum 
leap <laughs> this year and make a Pro Bowl. He's on his way to doing that. He did have he had a bad game against Tennessee. Uh, one of the interceptions he threw was just horrible. It was a horrible pick. The second one he threw that Butler caught. Um, Butler caught both of the picks, and the second one was horrible. The first one passes off a little bit, but the wide receiver could have caught it. The second one was just a horrible pass. So I think he recovers from that throughout the rest of the year and learns from that bad game against Tennessee. But I have Buffalo winning the division. I think New England is still very good and gets into the playoffs, especially with that extra playoff spot this year. But Buffalo is my favorite in the AFC East because of you got the running game with Singletary. You got Allen taking that next step. Him and Stephon Diggs are already gelling. Once they get Brown back, that's definitely going to help. That defense is already good. Once they get Tredavious White back, that's going to help. You, you know, Maybe you'll no longer see Josh Norman flying through the air because uh, he won't be in that position anymore. So you'll definitely, once they get fully healthy, you'll see Buffalo take off and win that division. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have been your thoughts uh, on Cam Newton there in New England? You know, I know he missed the last game. He had COVID. But uh, what are your thoughts on him so far? Cam Newton's been great. I love what I'm seeing from Cam Newton. I was very excited once he signed with New England to see what the offensive coordinator McDaniels did with Cam Newton. And we saw it right away. We saw that they implemented some of those plays from your Carolina Panthers into their scheme. And once you see Cam healthy and running, it makes a full difference. And then the passing mechanics. In the game against Seattle, he made some throws that not too many quarterbacks can make, right? His accuracy is there. So I think that they've been working on his fundamentals. And you see him, once he's set up fundamentally, he has all the raw talent in the world. Like, just off raw talent alone, you can put Cam up there with anybody. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, anybody just off raw talent. And once you get his mechanics down, that's when you see the best of Cam. The year you guys went to the Super Bowl, we saw the mechanics being there. Um, right before he hurt his shoulder a couple years ago and he had his highest completion percentage of his career, you saw the mechanics being there. And with the mechanics being there and the mixture of the read option, the bootlegs, I love what I'm seeing from that offense with Cam Newton running it. And I think that they would just get better and better as the year goes along. So I love what I'm seeing from Cam there. It's I've never been a Patriots guy. I've always hated the Patriots, but now I find myself rooting for the Patriots a little bit, or at least rooting for Cam to do well, because I love what I'm seeing from that offense. Yeah, I'm in the same boat now uh, with Cam and then uh, with uh, Kyle Duggar on defense is a guy from a local guy here that I covered at Lenore Ryan his last year. So pulling for him and Cam there in New England. And uh, the biggest thing to me has been watching Cam and what he can do behind an offensive line that actually protects him and doesn't allow him to take all the hits that he was taking in Carolina. Yeah, no, that definitely makes a big difference. He gets that protection. There have been plays this year where he's been in the pocket four, five, six seconds just waiting for somebody to get open. Now, some of that is because the wide receivers aren't the best, right? You got Edelman. Um, Nikhil Harry's looking a little better. But you have the time for those wide receivers to get open, even if they have less talent, because that offensive line is going to protect them. So, I, like I said, I love it, man. I love what I'm seeing from Cam Newton so far. Absolutely. And then uh, one other team I want to hit on from that division, uh, the Miami Dolphins have won a couple games here recently. They've been competitive. What do you think about them? And, and when do you think Tua comes into play? I think they're a good team that just happens to be in a division that's too tough right now. Watching some of their games, even the opener against New England, it looks like a good team that's well coached, right? And Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to have some games where he looks awesome. He's going to have some games where he doesn't look so awesome, right? That's been the story of his career is the inconsistency. And because of his ceiling 
like you saw in the last game against San Francisco. I think it's going to be a while before we see Tua. If they get, let's say it's week 10 and they're four or five games out of the race for the playoffs or out of the race for the division, I think that's where we can see Tua. You'll definitely see Tua this year, but it won't be a fault of the team. The team is good, just not on a great level. I think that New England and Buffalo can get to a great level and Miami's cap is at a good level. Uh, so it's an exciting team to watch, disciplined team, but they're just not there yet. It's another year or two before they can really compete for the division. I think next year, when you see two at his best, another year in that system, that's when you'll have to worry about Miami. Right. I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the NBA. You know, we had the finals here recently. The Lakers beat the Heat in uh, six games. And so what were your thoughts on that series? I thought it was a really good series. Uh, my original pick was Lakers in six. And then when Dragic got hurt, I thought that it would be Lakers in five. But Jimmy Butler was not going to go down easily. I think Jimmy Butler propelled himself into the top 10 of the NBA players with what he did in the finals and throughout the whole entire playoffs, the way that he was able to instill his mentality. People say he has that dog in him. He was able to instill that mentality into Miami and just fit in there with Jay Crowder, with Udonis Haslam, even though Udonis doesn't play, just that mentality of that dog mentality of not giving up. Tyler Hero definitely showed that he's going to be a great player in this league for a long time. Uh, Duncan Robinson is going to be somebody who's going to be a role player on some winning teams for a long time. I definitely enjoyed the series. I thought game four was a really good game in game five as well. Both of those games were games that I thoroughly enjoyed. Of course, game six was a little, you know, anticlimactic, but they were just, Miami was just, you know, done at that point because they gave so much in game four and game five. And Miami is a team that really surprised me as far as making it that far. I had Milwaukee as my original pick to make it out the East and definitely didn't think Miami could do it. I thought Miami would be tough to put out, but definitely didn't see them making the finals. So on that series, I just thought that Miami was a little bit over their heads because you think about LeBron James, and Anthony Davis, two top five players. It's tough to overcome that when your best player is somebody who we thought of as maybe a top 15 guy before the finals and Jimmy Butler. And Gord Dragic, your lead scorer, who misses most of the series. You're climbing uphill at that point. And I thought they did a great job of making it a series, even though they was fighting the uphill battle. So I have all the respect in the world for Miami. Jimmy Butler is now in my top 10. But you got to give credit and props to LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Rondo for stepping up in a major way, even Dwight Howard throughout the playoffs, especially the Western Conference Finals, he stepped up in a major way. Kuzma had his moments. Their role players, KCP, can't forget him. He had some big moments, especially that was game five, I believe, that he really came through, or game four, excuse me, where he really came through in the third quarter. So the Lakers, I believe, should still be the favorite going into next year, but they might have to add a piece to keep these other teams who are on the come up, like the Nuggets, the Clippers will still be back off of their heels, but all props in the world to LeBron James and Anthony Davis for leading them to victory in the bubble. One other question about the Heat. You know, obviously, Eric Spolster has been there for a while, and he got to coach the big three they had in the, with the Heat and won a couple titles. But, uh, you know, the job he did this year, and, you know, do you really think that a lot of people underrate him as a coach? Yeah, yeah. Whenever you coach LeBron, and that's who leads you to your first success, I think you're going to be underrated as a coach, right? Because a lot of people look at Tyron Lue and they're like, oh, he went to, you know, three finals, but he was coaching LeBron, who at that point 
in his career as a walking NBA Finals appearance. For Eric Spolstra, it's the same thing. He got LeBron James after only coaching you know, one or two years before that, and boom, four straight NBA Finals. So a lot of people are like, okay, what is he going to do without LeBron? And you've seen some very good coaching jobs throughout the years from him. I think this year really showed his expertise, the way that they use the zone. That's something that you get from your head coach, when to do it, how often to do it. I think him and Nick Nurse do the best job of switching up their defenses to where they can put zones in, go to man, switch it up, and confuse the defense in that way. So I think Eric Spolcher has been underrated for a very long time, but I think now he will get his proper due. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the name of Ty Lue. I want to talk about him. Uh, hired to coach the Clippers now and uh, bringing on Chauncey Billups as an assistant, which I really like that move as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on those moves? I like it. Uh, if anybody can handle the pressure of what's going to go on with the Clippers next year, it's Ty Lue. Like I mentioned, he go, he goes into a situation in his last coaching job where he has LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, and you're expected to make the finals. And you're expected to at least make it the championship competitive. They weren't the favorites going into the finals that year they won, but they're expected to make it competitive. And he got a championship. With all that pressure, he was able to make the right coaching moves. Now, of course, having LeBron as a coach on the floor helps, but him being in those pressure situations, he knows what's going to happen. He knows how to handle Kawhi, how to handle Paul George. And he can be that voice. Very few coaches have ever challenged LeBron the way Ty Lue did. Ty Lue was willing to get in LeBron's face, willing to curse him out at times, tell him when he was wrong. So he's not going to have a problem doing the same thing to Kawhi, to Paul George, to Chicken Wing Lou. <laughs> he's not going to have any problems telling any of those guys, hey, you're wrong on this play. Play better defense. You need this from you. And you need that going forward. Uh, with Doc Rivers, I think he was a good coach. I think maybe his time, it just came up. He had been there for a while. So I think a new voice in Ty Lue and Chauncey Billups as well, I like that move of having him on the staff, will give them the right, the right voices. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on the Doc Rivers. I think it was time. You know, he's a very good coach, but time for a change of scenery for all the parties involved. You know, I'm a big J.J. Reddick fan, so I pretty much followed him, you know, being a Duke fan here in North Carolina and uh, followed him throughout his career. And he was with the Clippers for a while and went on to Philly and now they're with uh, New Orleans with the Pelicans. Um, and speaking of the Pelicans, obviously they're a team looking for a new head coach. What did you think of the decision to uh, get rid of Alvin Gentry? And who would you like to see them bring in? So getting rid of Alvin Gentry, I understood it, right? Because he's underachieved. In those five years that he's been there, we've only had one winning season. And that year, it's not all his fault. We've had some injuries. Even the year that we had that winning season, DeMarcus Cousins got hurt, you know, towards Achilles. And we went to the second round that year after sweeping Portland in the, in the first round and lost to Golden State in the second round, which, you know, everybody lost to Golden State that year. But after that, you just see too many mental errors on the team. So we were very high in turnovers. That's something that the coach should get down. We were very lack. Actually, go on defense with good defenders. So you think about Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram should be a good defender with his length and athleticism. Um, Derek Favors is a good defender. Josh Hart. We have a lot of good individual defenders. But as a team, we sucked on defense. And when that happens, you have people that you know are good individually on defense and a team doesn't buy in and doesn't play good defense. You have to look at the coach. So for me, I understood the move of getting rid of Alvin Gentry. Now, in far, as far as the search process, 
I, I'm wondering right now what's taking so long. We've had teams that have fired their coach after New Orleans and have hired a new coach before New Orleans. So we've had the most time. Like we fired Alvin Gentry pre-playoffs. This was, you know, after the bubble, the eight qualifying games in the bubble when we fired Alvin Gentry. So we've had a lot of time to find a coach. Now, personally, I would love if we hired Becky Hammond. I love the fact that she's coming from the coach pop tree. If anybody can instill the discipline that we need on both the offensive and defensive end, it'll be somebody from that coach pop tree. And we can still keep the pace. That's the one thing that Alvin Gentry did was give us that pace that we need going up and down the floor, which works perfect with a point guard like Lonzo Ball and someone who's super athletic like Zion on the floor and Brandon Ingram being a guy who can get you 20 to 25 points per game. But we just need to be better as far as taking care of the ball and a lot better on defense. So I'd love to see us hire Becky Hammond. Also, maybe a Jason Kidd could be in the picture there. Who else is out there right now? It's probably somebody else who I don't know right now. Because, for example, I had no idea Steve Nash wanted to be a head coach when he got hired by Brooklyn. So maybe there's somebody else out there who I'm not aware of right now who can come in and be that person. We don't have to recycle the same guys over and over again. That's one thing that kind of annoys me about the NBA. The same guys get recycled for these jobs. When you just saw them fail in one place, and we think, okay, they're going to come to this organization and do a better job. Or you just saw this movie. We know the ending. So hire somebody new so we can at least see what's going to happen. So I would love for them to get some new blood, like a Becky Hammond or someone who I'm not aware of right now. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the bubble. Uh, really disappointed in the way the Pelicans played in the bubble. I think it was the first game they blew a lead. And then from there, they were just kind of behind the eight ball and could never really get things going in the bubble. What were your thoughts about their play there? Yeah, we, we definitely didn't play well. Our defense was horrible in the bubble. Um, the fact that we weren't playing Zion the first, well, that was like maybe five games where we were playing limited minutes with Zion didn't help because it's hard for you to get a rhythm. And I didn't understand it because you had four, almost five months off. He's 20 years old. He should be fresh, ready to go. So if there's an injury there, let us know. If there's a lingering knee injury, let us know. If there's something else going on, let us know. But there's no way he should he should have came in out of shape. Even with, you know, quarantine going on, it should have been on him. Hey, we need you to go jog. We need you to go run. We need you to do this. We need to find this local place that you can go work out at. We'll close it down for you. Like something. Make sure that he came in in shape whenever the season restarted. There was no excuse for that. And I think maybe that's something that Gentry failed at, which also got him fired. So that didn't help. The defense was horrible. And we didn't want it. Like Portland came in. Like, we want to get in the playoffs. Uh, even Memphis, who didn't play particularly well, but still was playing hard, shows you that they wanted to play in the playoffs. San Antonio played well. DeMarcus, or DeMar DeRozan, excuse me, played well and showed how much he wanted to make it. And we just didn't show up. And that was very disappointing. I think that definitely led to Alvin Gentry being released. Yeah, I hated to see my guy JJ's uh, playoff streak come to an end. Uh, last game, or it might have been against the Spurs uh, when they got eliminated from playoff contention. I think he's had 31 points, and he kind of looked like he was the only one who really wanted it. So uh, it was pretty tough to watch there in the bubble. What was fun to watch, you know, uh, Zion started the year with an injury and missed a lot of games there at the beginning of the season. But such a fun guy to watch. And, and what were your thoughts on the play that he did have this year? Yeah, once he came in right away, you saw the impact. Um, he definitely has some things to work on defensively. Uh, he has to work on moving his feet a little bit better. He can't be a 6'6 power forward 
and not be able to go out on switches and stay in front of guards. And that was one thing where teams were able to take advantage of him on the defensive end. As far as pick and roll, he switches out to the guard and they just go right to the basket on him. So that's one thing he has to work on. Being in better shape, he definitely has to be in better shape. But what's remarkable is that he's out of shape and still is getting 23 points, seven rebounds, and shooting a very high field goal percentage. So just imagine when he's in shape and has a full offseason, what's going to happen. So definitely was very impressive. The athleticism is off the charts. Um, Some of the alleys that he caught from Zoe were just amazing. He has all the tools. You want him to see him develop maybe a mid-range jump shot just to keep the defense honest. So like when he catches the ball, say at the elbow, for example, we're playing against the Lakers one game and LeBron was sticking him and LeBron just totally laid off him. I'm going to give you five feet of space. And LeBron's somebody who's strong enough to where if he drives in, he actually can take that contact and go up with him. So when he's playing against somebody like that, he can't just bully his way in. What does he do? That's when you need that mid-range jump shot. You need a comfortable and consistent jump shot to truly take that game to the next level. Hopefully he's working on that right now. Hopefully he's in the gym as we speak, working on that right now. And next season can come in with a consistent mid-range jump shot. Um, The three doesn't have to be consistent just – Whenever he's just wide, wide, wide open, take it to keep the defense honest. And we see that he's not as truly comfortable with it unless they leave him wide open. But I'm not mad at that. Keep attacking the hole like you do. Use your athleticism, but have that mid-range shot to where defenders like a Giannis, LeBron, someone like that can't just lay off you. Bam out of bio. Those dudes who are strong enough and quick enough to stay with you can't take advantage of the fact that you don't have a jump shot. So that's what I want to see from him going forward. But I was definitely very excited to see what he did. Love the playmaking ability that he has, his basketball IQ. So defensively, he has to improve moving his feet and also offensively with the mid-range jump shot. Yeah. Uh, And I think you used the phrase, taking it to the next level. A guy who really did that this year was the most improved player in the NBA was Brandon Ingram. Talk about what he brought to the Pelicans. Oh, man, he can do it all offensively. He can do it all. Like, once he decides to drive past you with that length, there's nothing you could do about it. Left, right, he's getting to the hole. And then he developed the mid-range jump shot where he can post up in the mid-range. And it's almost like kind of Kevin Garnett-ish. Like, if you remember young Kevin Garnett with the Timberwolves where he would post up mid-post, give you the shimmy, and then fade away. Brandon Ingram had some of that to his game. He improved his three-point shot tremendously. Whoever the shooting coach is for the Pelicans probably deserves a raise when you look at what Brandon Ingram was able to do along with Lonzo Ball, their shots improved so much, especially Lonzo's. Like Lonzo's form, his percentage, you didn't see it in the bubble as much, but during the season before the stop, both of those guys' shots were tremendous. So with Brandon Ingram, because of his length, he was able to get you 23 points a game, 10 rebounds. He's also going to be a very good playmaker because once he starts driving and teams collapse, he can pass out to open shooters like Josh Hart, like J.J. Redick, like Melly, and get you those assists. So I think that he will continue to improve. I love what I saw from him this year. I think defensively he can improve as well. He, there's no reason he shouldn't be an all-NBA type defender with his length and athleticism. He should be able to shut people down, get blocks, get steals, be in the passing lane, do everything defensively that you saw from a young Kawhi, from Paul George, from guys like that, because he has that type of length with him in his game. So I'll, defensively I want to see more from him, but offensively he has it all. Like there's no weakness offensively in his game at all. Yeah, speaking of uh, the all-defensive team, what are your thoughts on Drew Holiday being left off? Uh, I can understand it this year with how bad our team defense was. 
Um, he's definitely one of the best defenders in the league, elite on defense. Like for people who don't see the Pelicans enough, they don't understand how good Drew Holiday is. And he gets kind of lost in the shuffle because you have Zion, you have Brandon Ingram, you have Lonzo Ball and all the things that come along with him. But Drew defensively, like when he gets locked in, it's amazing to watch. The way he gives, you know, point guards issues, like someone as athletic as John Morant was not able to get past Drew Holiday. Uh, even in games where we didn't have the right size matches, play against Cleveland, you put Drew down there against Kevin Love, and he's giving Kevin Love issues because even though Kevin Love is so much bigger and stronger, he just has such great timing and anticipation on defense. He's an amazing defender, amazing defender. But because the team defense was so bad, I can understand why he was left off. Uh, I listened to uh, J.J. Reddick's podcast, and he's had several guys from the NBA ask, you know, who's the best defender in the league? And, and Drew Holiday's a name that comes up real quick from a lot of guys, especially among guards. So uh, definitely just a ferocious defender. Speaking of J.J., you know, he went to New Orleans this year. I thought he was a great veteran presence there and, and gave them steady contributions this year. What, what did you think about him? Yeah, no, he definitely did what he always does. Gave us that veteran presence, like you mentioned, consistent shooting. Um, we didn't do a good job of getting him open as much as other teams have done. Like when you look at what he did in Philly, when he was running around those picks and he's very good at taking shots on the move. I don't know how he does it when he's like floating five feet to the left and somehow is still able to take his shot straight up and make it. Uh, We need to take advantage of that more and get him more open shots. If you look at some of the bubble games, you mentioned the game where he had like 31 points. He had to drive to the goal more. It wasn't just, you know, him shooting the ball from three or getting mid-range shots. He had to drive to the goal more. Now, of course, the defense is going to do their best to try to take him off the three-point line, and he had to do more as far as his handle this year. But I want us to do a better job of getting him open, setting picks for him, just having him take comfortable shots. I feel like we didn't do a good enough job of getting him in more comfortable situations this year. But he's definitely somebody who I'm glad signed a two-year contract so we can still have him for next year as we go into a season where we're expected to do something as far as making the playoffs and maybe even make some noise. Yeah. I think maybe the new coach will hopefully install a game plan where we're able to get him more open looks and play the game that he's used to playing on the offensive end because, you know, his best years really were in Philly and uh, had some great years with the Clippers as well. So we'll see. I want to move on to this uh, segment I talked about. Uh, We call it Ranky Panky on here. We're going to rank our top five NBA players, 25 years old and younger. And uh, with you being a Pelicans fan, and I also like the Pelicans, we won't pick anybody from New Orleans, and we won't pick anybody from the Charlotte Hornets. Or you can, but I won't, uh, since that's my hometown team. So uh, I won't pick anybody from there. You know, if I was to pick someone from New Orleans, Zion would be on there, uh, and Brandon Ingram would be on there. But uh, a couple honorable mentions I do want to mention that just missed my top five that that I really like to watch play. Ben Simmons with the Sixers, 24 years old. Love watching him play. Would like to see him develop a more consistent jump shot and not be afraid to take outside shots as he could be crazy difficult to defend if he got that. He's already a matchup nightmare at his size and playing point guard. And then uh, Trey Young, the Atlanta Hawks, 22 years old. Great shooter. Reminds me of Steph Curry and uh, in a lot of ways and also a great passer as well. So those were a couple of honorable mentions that I had. Who do you got? So, yeah, I had some honorable mentions as well. It's definitely a tough list. 
to make when you think about 25 and under, because there's so many great players who fit that description in NBA right now. But Ben Simmons was one of mine. I love him defensively because he's so long at the point guard position. He can switch on to power forwards, to centers in today's NBA and hold his own along with being able to stay in front of point guards, shooting guards, small forwards. He can do everything on defense, which leads to fast breaks. And when he's going full speed, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do if you don't build a wall. And, of course, you want him to be willing to take jump shots. I believe he can shoot. We've seen it in practice. We've seen it in preseason games. I think it's a psychological thing. Like, it's mental with him. Um, We've talked about how he has to see a sports psychologist about it. Hopefully he can get over that mental block where he's willing to take more jump shots and just, you know, not go crazy. Just take the 15-footer every once in a while. If you come down and there's a famous play where LeBron was playing him, LeBron was just sitting under the goal and he was at the three-point line. You can't let that happen. If somebody's going to disrespect you in that way, take the shot. But Ben Simmons is one of my honorable mentions. And also I had to put, because there's so many players, I believe, I, I can't believe this dude didn't make my top five, but Jamal Murray. Um, Jamal Murray is somebody who, in the playoffs, we saw him excel, especially in that Utah series, go absolutely nuts. I love his game. He's so smooth out the pick and roll. Him and Jokic in that one-two game do so much. And I love the growth we saw in the playoffs with him, not just Utah, but against the Clippers as well. Against the Lakers, played okay. But in the Clippers series, that especially game seven, and the last three games against Utah, you saw a growth in his game. So for my honorable mention, it's Jamal Murray and Ben Simmons. All right. Well, I did want to mention one guy that I wrote down at the last second and I forgot uh, was also an honorable mention for me was uh, Devin Booker for the Suns, uh, 23 years old, great shooter. That's a fun young team. Uh, I played with them on 2K quite a bit and enjoyed that. So uh, I did want to mention him. But number five, we'll start with, uh, I've got Tyus Jones, 24-year-old for the Memphis Grizzlies. And the main reason I like him, he's a Duke guy, you know, had a big NCAA tournament with Duke uh, in 2015. Big fan of his younger brother, Trey, as well. They're very similar games, both strong defenders and capable of making a big shot when it's needed. And uh, I've just always enjoyed Tyus uh, and the way he plays the game. Who have you got at number five? So for my number five, I got the guy you mentioned, Devin Booker, at number five. His game, I love the growth we we saw in the bubble. They went 8-0 some big-time games. We all remember that game winner over both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard against the Clippers. Um, His offensive game has no weakness. He can score three-point, mid-range. He can even give you a little bit of the mellow. When you remember getting Carmelo the ball in the mid-post, he hit you with a jab step, pump fake, get by you, dunk the ball. He can do that as well. He's thought of as a shooter because that was his reputation coming into the league. He can do it all. He can do it all. Defensively, there's a little more there that you want. But I think that's going to get better, especially under Monty Williams. I think that's going to be instilled in his game. I love watching Devin Booker play. I live out here in Arizona, so I see him a lot. And I enjoy watching him play. And I also play with them on 2K as well. And uh, Devin Booker is definitely somebody who you can enjoy playing with because he can do so much. So Devin Booker is my number five. Yeah. Number four for me is from the Dallas Mavericks, 21-year-old Luka Doncic. I admittedly haven't watched him play as much as I probably should, but I saw him some here in the bubble and in the playoffs and just super impressed by the way he plays the game at a young age. He's got such a high basketball IQ and can do things that are just crazy for that age. So I've got Luca at number four. That's a very good pick at number four. For me, I got Jason Tatum at number four. Um, I love what we've seen in his game. 
right? He came in as a rookie, hot, then kind of cooled off his sophomore year, but got back to that level and beyond this past season, able to get you 25 points in the playoffs, getting you 10 rebounds, also can get you six, seven assists and do it in an efficient manner. He can shoot 47, 48% from the field, shoot from three at 38, 39, 40%. And because of that, you have to respect the three-point shot. He can drive, he can dunk it on you. He'll bam it on you. And, you know, the play where he got blocked by Bam, that's very rare. Like, he does what he's supposed to do as far as attacking the rim, going strong. So he's going to attack the rim. He got the mid-range jumper. He's improved his handle a lot, which I, I like. You know, that was one of his weaknesses going into this year was his handle. A lot of people thought that you could bother him by just getting into him on defense and poking at the ball. And he's improved on that portion and taking his time now where if somebody is hounding him, just takes his time, doesn't move, I'm past you, I'm gone. I like Jason Tatum's game a lot, and he's excellent on defense. I think he's a very underrated defender. He's a very, very good defender, uses his length, moves his feet, and doesn't foul. Very good defender. I love his all-around game. Yeah, I'll have Jason later on my list. But uh, at number three, I've got uh, a guy you mentioned earlier, a 23-year-old for the Denver Nuggets, uh, Jamal Murray. Man, that guy really balled out in the playoffs. That series against the Utah Jazz was one of the most fun series I saw this year. And uh, just back and forth. And uh, Jamal Murray really showed up in a big way for Denver. I love to watch that two-man game with him and Nicola. So I've got Jamal Murray. He's just, uh, man, he's so much fun to watch. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you on that one. For my number three, now correct me if I'm wrong, Nikola Jokic has not turned 26 yet. So I got Nikola Jokic here at number three. When you look at his game, best passing big man in the league by far, right? You can run the offense through him. Um, I love the fact that his three-point shot is as smooth as it is. The fact that it's just so – so buttery. And him and Jamal Murray can run that one-two game where he can do the pick and roll or the pick and pop because he's so good at shooting the ball. And he has this unorthodox way about his game where he'll take a shot off of one foot that you think, oh, that's a bad shot. But that's something that he practices. That's what he does. And he was able to, in the Clipper series, take advantage of his size. And he can be nasty. He can be like, okay, you guys don't have a big man. I'm just going to work right now. So he has both sides to his game where he can be the guy who distributes to everybody else. Or I can take over. So Nikola Jokic is somebody who I really enjoy watching, who's my number three. Okay. Uh, Number two for me is Donovan Mitchell from Utah, 24 years old. And uh, we saw him and my previous pick, Murray, go back and forth at each other. Donovan just got that killer instinct out there. And, man, he can drop 30, 40, 50 on you. And uh, just really fun to watch out there in Utah. Uh, I love the way he plays the game. Now, that one game, I would have liked to have seen him uh, get back. Maybe he could have gotten the shot uh, instead of whoever else got it uh, there at the end of that series. But, yeah, I really like the way he plays. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of Donovan Mitchell as well. But for my number two, I got Luka Doncic. Luka, man, he's getting you almost 30 points a game, nine rebounds, nine assists, while being efficient from the floor. Now, his three-point shot is not as efficient as people think it is. Right. A lot of people probably think that his three point shot is in the, you know, 36 to 39 range when it's really at like 31, 32 percent. So that's something that he has to improve on, being more consistent from the three point line. But he's not scared of the moment. We saw in that game winner that he hit 
against the Clippers in that series where they got Reggie Jackson switched on him and he hit a step back from four feet beyond the line. He's definitely not scared of that shot and does feel comfortable taking it. So it's going to come with time, be more consistent. You can't stop him. At his size, who can you put on him? Because he can play point, even though he's you know listed as small forward. He can play point guard for you. And once you get a smaller guy on him, he's just going to take him to the goal. Once you get a bigger guy on him, he's too quick. So he's a mismatch wherever you put him. Um, defensively, he definitely has to improve. And I think that, that comes with age. That will, that will improve. But offensively, there's only weakness in this game is a consistent three-point shot. But everything else is there. Passing the ball, his vision is crazy. Some of the passes he makes are on a LeBron-type level as far as the difficulty of passing where he's leaning one way and throws it all the way to the other side of the court. Stuff that, as you know, an average basketball player myself, I wouldn't even think to do in those situations. So I love watching him play. That's why I have Luka at my number two spot. That brings us to number one. I mentioned he was going to be on my list. Uh, Jason Tatum, 22-year-old Boston Celtics. Uh, been a fan since he was at Duke and uh, thought he had star potential when he was there. And he's really showed that, especially this past season. One of the top 10, 15 players in the league now, it seems like. And just, you know, that Boston Celtics team was fun to watch. Uh, I got to see Kimba Walker, who was here in Charlotte, uh, go to a team where he actually was able to win and had guys around him. And that was fun to watch. And, and Jason Tatum was definitely one of those guys, you know, he can – get to the basket he can shoot from the outside and like you mentioned earlier he's a better defender than people give him credit for and so uh, I've got Jason Tatum there at one yeah I'm not mad at that pick at all I love Jason Tatum's game um for my number one I went with a guy who isn't on that level yet but I believe will be very good in this league or great in this league and that's John Morant I think John Morant's game is unlimited with his athletic ability I mean, he has the athleticism of a young Russell Westbrook with a better shot, right? His shot is going to be way better than Westbrook's shot is, has ever been, right? And I think his basketball IQ is going to be on a higher level than Westbrook's, along with that crazy athleticism. And you've seen Morant try to dunk on everybody. He's not, he doesn't have a fear in his body at all. He's going to try to dunk on you. And the fact that he was able to lead Memphis to the A spot before the season had to take a hiatus shows you how great this player will be going forward. He has the passing ability, work off the pick and roll. Um, defensively, because he's so athletic, he will be good on defense as well. He will improve as he gets older. So I think that this guy is going to be somebody going forward, maybe two years from now, can get you 25, 10 assists, seven, eight rebounds, while being efficient because he's going to have a better shot than. No other athletic point guards have had in the past. So I love what I'm seeing from John Moran and can't wait to see what I see in the future from him. Yeah, I like that pick. It's, it's a great one. Just for the listeners' uh, benefit, I'm going to go back through my top five, five to one. I had uh, Tyus Jones, uh, Luca, Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, and then Jason Tatum at number one. Damien, if you just go back through your five to one. So for my number five, I had Devin Booker, four, Jason Tatum, three, Nikola Jokic two, Luka Dantich, and one, John Morant. I'll tell you, this was a hard thing to do. There's so much great young talent that's fun to watch in the NBA, and uh, it was really tough to come up with a list for this. Uh, I did the same thing with Nikki for the NFL, and uh, that was tough as well. But I think this was even harder. So, uh, Damien, uh, before we go, would love it if you'd plug your social media so people can follow you if they want to uh, check out what you're doing. Oh, man, I've had a blast on the show, man. I definitely love talking to you and would love to come on sometime again and definitely reach out to you to be a guest on my show. 
as far as my social media, you can follow me on any platform at the Real Deal WDA. That's the Real Deal W as in whiskey, D as in Delta, A as in Alpha, on all platforms. And make sure you subscribe to both the Real Deal with Damian Adams podcast, and of course the Third and Three podcast I do along with Jason Fairman and Nikki the Matthews. And you'll enjoy both shows. I guarantee it. Awesome. Well, Damien, it's been a blast talking to you today and uh, take care. Keep doing great work with uh, both of those podcasts and uh, hope to have you on again someday, man. Take care. Uh, you do the same, man. Thank you again for having me on. Absolutely. Uh-oh. What's that? <laughs> Don't worry. Fearless Forecast is back. Thanks again to Damian Adams of the 3rd and 3 Podcast and The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Two great podcasts you need to listen to if you haven't. Thanks for joining me, Damian, and for sticking around for Ranky Panky as well. Enjoyed that as always. Now it's time for Fearless Forecast. And since I haven't done one of these in a while, I did explain at the beginning it'd be coming back today. I did this for the first week of the NFL season. Made my predictions. I went 8-8 eight and eight that week. Now, ever since that week, I have done really well on my picks. I've been sharing them on Twitter using the hashtag FearlessForecast as well as hashtag FourQuartersPod with the number four. I always do that for this podcast and the tweets. But I have gotten at least 10 picks right every week since. Actually, after that 8-8 eight and eight week, I had a 14-2 and two week and a 13-2 and two week. And I'm currently 65 and 25 overall. So doing very well on my picks. And you can follow along on Twitter. Even when I don't do this on the show, I do put my picks on there. I put my record on there each week and update that. So, you know, I do this on Pigskin Pick'em on ESPN. And I'm in like the 99 percentile. So feeling really good about the way I picked this year. But this week, I've got to do it on the show. Eight and eight was my worst week there in week one, which. Obviously, going into a new season, you don't know how everybody's going to look, so that does affect it, but not making excuses. I'm going to do better this week. Week 7 NFL picks. We're going to start off with our Thursday night game. The New York Giants at the Philadelphia Eagles, an NFC East battle. (laughs) and That NFC East is wide open. Who the heck knows who's going to win that? Does anyone really deserve to win that? Does anyone want to win that? Somebody's going to. The fact that the Giants and the Washington football team are both 1-5 in five and are only one game out of first place is crazy because the Dallas Cowboys lead the division at 2-4, and four, and then you've got the Eagles there at 1-4-1. One, and one. I've got the Eagles in this game over the Giants at home. I think the Eagles take it, even though the Giants did get in the win column last week against the Washington football team. But I've got the Eagles. They nearly... Pulled off an upset of the Baltimore Ravens, fell into an early hole, and fought back to lose that game by just a couple points. Then we've got the Detroit Lions, the Atlanta Falcons, matchup of the 2-3 and three Lions and the 1-5 and five Falcons. At first, I was going to go with the Falcons at home. They did get in the win column last week. But I think the Lions take this on the road. I think they get to 3-3. Three and three. I think it's going to be a shootout between Matthew Stafford and Matt Ryan. Two guys who usually put up big numbers but don't always get a lot of help from their defenses. But I've got the Lions taking this. I think Stafford wins it in a shootout. Then we've got the Buffalo Bills at the New York Jets. 
This is the Bills. Uh, they're four and two, while the Jets are zero and six. And the Bills are coming off two losses, but those losses were to the undefeated Tennessee Titans and the five and one Kansas City Chiefs. So combined record of ten and one between those two. The Bills get back on track and get their fifth win. Then you've got the Cleveland Browns at the Cincinnati Bengals. The Browns were stomped Sunday by the Steelers, but I think they get back in the win column here. The Bengals are not an easy out at all, and the Browns have played them once this year, but one four and one against four and two. I'm going to take four and two Cleveland Browns on the road for that one. Then we've got the Dallas Cowboys at the Washington football team. The Cowboys, of course, have handed the reins over to Andy Dalton after the season ending injury to Dak Prescott, their quarterback. The Cowboys get a win here after a disappointing performance against the Arizona Cardinals on Monday Night Football, and they get to 3-4 and four and stay in first place in that division. The Green Bay Packers at 4-1 and one at the Houston Texans, 1-5. Wow, I never would have guessed the Texans would be 1-5 and five at this point in the season. I picked them the first several weeks of the season, and they just haven't been able to put it together. Packers coming off an embarrassing performance against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they'll get back in the win column. They'll get to 5-1. and one. I know earlier in the show, obviously, my conversation with Damian Adams was recorded on Saturday prior to this past week, and that game with the Packers, we both were high on the Packers. Now we're down to three undefeated teams because they got beat in a bad way, but I think they went on the road at Houston. Then we've got the Carolina Panthers, 3-3, three and three, had their three-game losing streak snapped this past week by the Bears. They're at the New Orleans Saints for an NFC South showdown. I think the Saints win it and send the Panthers to 3-4, and four, move to 4-2 and two themselves, and keep pace with the Buccaneers there in the NFC South. It's not going to be a blowout. The Panthers have really proven they can be competitive with teams, and I think the Saints win in a close one. Then we've got a huge tilt between two undefeated teams. We've got the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Tennessee Titans, the two remaining AFC unbeatens, and I'm going to go with the Steelers coming off that impressive win over a Browns team that has looked good in recent weeks. And Tennessee was able to pull one out against Houston in overtime and remain undefeated, but I think the Steelers win this one, and it's going to be a heck of a ball game. Then we've got the Seattle Seahawks. 5-0 at the Arizona Cardinals, 4-2. The team in Seattle I thought would win the NFC West going into the season against the team I said to look out for in the Arizona Cardinals. And while the Cardinals are going to give Seattle a battle, Seattle has proven that they can win close ball games. Russell Wilson continues to play at a high level. That offense continues to do so. Seattle's defense will keep the Cardinals in the ball game, and Kyler Murray's a heck of a quarterback to watch and has been compared to Russell Wilson, but I think the Seahawks win it to stay undefeated. Kansas City Chiefs at 5-1 and one at the Denver Broncos at 2-3. and three. Broncos coming off a win over the Patriots last week. Obviously, the Patriots have not practiced much. The Broncos got only field goals in that game. They're going to need more than just field goals to keep up with the Chiefs, which they will not be able to do. KC takes this one. Then we've got the San Francisco 49ers at 3-3, three and three, traveling to the New England Patriots, who are 2-3 and three, and have a losing record at this point in the season or later for the first time in a long time. They get back on track with this one. I think the Patriots get to 500 after having a full week of practice, and they've dealt with COVID and everything. Cam looked a little off last week. The whole team looked a little off. 
still almost beat the Broncos because their defense played at a high level. They'll do that again, and they'll grab a victory over the 49ers at home. Next up, we've got the 1-5 Jacksonville Jaguars at the 1-4 Los Angeles Chargers. I'm higher on the Chargers than the Jaguars. Justin Herbert has shown some flashes of being a solid NFL quarterback, while the Jags have been the Jags. They have really struggled this year, only picking up one win so far. The Chargers will be the team to get their second win at home. Then we've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 4-2, traveling to Las Vegas to take on the Raiders, who are 3-2. Going to be a great ball game. The Raiders knocked off the Chiefs recently and have looked good this season for the most part. But I think Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are really starting to find it. They look great against the Packers, who were previously undefeated, and the Buccaneers are going to win this ball game, and they'll remain a half game in front of the Saints, who, like I said, will keep pace, but are a week behind having had their bye week. After that, Chicago Bears on Monday night travel to the Los Angeles Rams. Should be a great ball game to watch. The Bears at 5-1, and one, the Rams at 4-2. and two. At first, I was going to pick the Rams at home, but the Bears just keep finding a way to win ball games, and I think they do it again and move to 6-1. and one. They've got some tough games coming up that I don't think will go in their favor, so I think they do pull this one out against the Rams, and right now they're in first place just ahead of the Packers, even though I think the Packers will eventually take the division there in the NFC North. I think the Bears go to 6-1 and one and remain in first place in a close ball game because all their games have been close, and they found a way, and Nick Foles and company will find a way once again. So those are my picks. Fearless forecast for week seven of the NFL season. Got to thank Damian Adams again. He was my guest today. Really enjoyed talking to him. Really enjoyed Ranky Panky. As we ranked our top five favorite NBA players, 25 years of age and younger. That was a whole lot of fun, as always. More fun coming at you next Wednesday here on Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Remember to like Four Quarters with Josh McKinney on Facebook, to follow at SuperJMac32 on Twitter. I try to remain fairly active on both and am really thankful to everybody who has followed i continue to try to follow other podcasts as well because really trying to connect with them and as you can see we've had several guests who have their own podcast or are part of other podcasts and that's a whole lot of fun to network with people like that but anyway that does it for this week folks take care stay safe don't go crazy i know it's election season this is going to be over very soon and we'll be right here with you next week for another entertaining episode of four quarters with josh mckinney